Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning. My name is Mark McPherson. I'm the student minister here at our Louisville campus. It's a pleasure to be up here. Uh, and we've been in our sermon series, Counterculture. We've been looking at these topics, these issues, if you will, these, 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 uh, these things going on in our culture. And we've been looking at what God's word has to say about them. That as we open God's word, we surrendered to it. That we wouldn't try to squeeze our opinion into God's word, but God's word would speak over us, and we allow God's word to shape us. And so that's what counterculture has been about. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew 5. We're going to be in Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. And the sermon title of today is called, The Gift of a New King. The Gift of a New King. And to all of our fathers in here, happy Father's Day. Fathers, thank you for all that you do and pointing your, your, your children back to Christ. Um, Thank you, guys. God's word says this in Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word, and this is where we're going to be today in the Beatitudes. And as we get into the Beatitudes, I want to look at two things. I want to look at mission and vision. So what's, what's mission? Mission is what keeps us on point. Mission is, is the train tracks, if you will, that we are to stay on. Our mission here at the Door Church is to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory. So all of our decisions are funneled through that. All of our decisions are to help us stay on the tracks, to stay on point, to stay on mission. These are our tracks. And if our, if our mission is that, then our vision our vision is where the tracks lead us. Our vision is where we're going or, or what the body could be. What could be? What's our vision? What are we looking at? And God's word is calling us, Christ is calling us in the Sermon on the Mount to be a people, a city on the hill. To be light in the world. To be salt in the world. And this is the vision that God has for his church. What Christ has for us. And this is what we have to see as we go down the train tracks, this is where we long to be as we travel down the tracks. Vision is, is you got to visualize. You have to, you have to see it before you see it. You have to let the vision, the, the, the thought of, of what could be, you have to let it capture your heart. And as you move towards the vision, it tugs you and tugs you down the track. Man, vision should be something that captivates our imagination, that we long for, something that is that is. Uh, amazing. It's, it's driving us. This is vision. And as we look through counterculture, God is putting a vision before us. When I was a wrestler, I had a wrestling coach, and he always used to use this quote from Michelangelo. Michelangelo is a famous sculptor and painter, and 
not the Ninja Turtle, right? We're talking about Michelangelo. Michelangelo, he made the statue David. And when he was carving the statue David, he had this quote that was famous. It says, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. That's vision. That's seeing a, a block of marble and seeing what it could be, seeing what it can be. And my question for us, church, is as Christ has been putting a vision for the church in front of us, to be a city on the hill, as we, as we go through counterculture, as we go through these topics that our culture is talking about, that our culture is divided on, man, are we letting the Holy Spirit carve us? Are we letting the Holy Spirit sculpt us? Are we allowing the chisel to come to us and break us of ourselves? Is the Holy Spirit smoothing the rough edges in these areas of our life? Is the Holy Spirit giving us fine detail in our lives in these places? Has God been able to teach you how to be counterculture? And so as we look at our sermon series, as we look at the Beatitudes, there's three things we have to see. We have to see the teaching, the tension, and then we'll look at the teacher. So we have the teaching, the tension, and the teacher. Let's get right into it. The teaching, look at... Uh, Verse 1 in chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. This is the context that Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. These are his people who have come to embrace the mission and embrace the vision. And then as he goes through the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving a discourse on vision. He's giving us a, 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 a vision of what the church could be, of, of how we could live how we could be countercultural as Jesus is our king, as we come under his rule, as we come under his reign, really as we come under his life. This is what we could be. This is what we should be. So what we've been doing in counterculture is, is in the same way, just allowing God's word to be laid out and see God stands where he stands on these issues but as we look at those, it's not that we'd fall on the right side of the aisle and say, I'm right. But what we would be is we'd be shaped by the biblical vision that God has for us to be Jesus' people. As we go through these topics, we would reflect Christ and not build our self-righteousness. And so at the beginning of, of counterculture, we talked about money. And that our money should just be used to steward uh, God's kingdom, that is a gift to us anyway, and we're just stewarding it. Our money has become neutral. If God is, is our king, that we should be open-handed with our money. That, that we can give radically and generously. Man, if, if, if God is our king, if Jesus, if we're following the words of Jesus, Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. And we'd be people who reflect that. And we talked about being pro-life. That everyone is an image bearer of God. Everyone. And that we are, are, are people who reflect God's glory, and all people reflect God's glory, and that we don't earn our worth. We don't earn our worth in religion. We don't earn our worth in politics. We don't earn our worth in our, in our position at work. We don't earn worth, but it's bestowed upon us by God. That we're all image bearers of Christ, that we all have worth because he says so, and that we are called to protect and to preserve the image of God. 
And as we go out into the world, as we protect and preserve the image of God, that we are to be people who criticize in love and not judgment. God is calling us to be people who criticize in love. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount to turn the other cheek, that as we speak to people, we be people who bring restoration to relationships with people we disagree with, that we wouldn't judge people, but we meet people, that we love people, that we speak in a way that holds firm the truth, but brings people into restoration relationships. That we'd be so loving to these people and not be judging. That God is calling us to protect everyone who's made in the image of God. To protect the unborn, to protect the refugee, to, rep- re- to protect the immigrant. And that next people group that's coming in the back of your mind right now. Yes, those people too. That we're called to protect to love them, to bring restoration to them. Whoever those people are that's creeping up next, yes, those people too. They're made in the image of God and we're called to protect and we're called to preserve the image of God and treasure people. And then we talked about race. That God is a God of all tribes, all tongues, and all nations. And as we come under the rule and reign of Christ, we are all citizens of heaven. And that Christ is my primary identity, that I'm a Christian first and a whatever next. I am Christian first, and that, that means that my brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ is our common ground, and I have more in common with you than anybody else. That I have more in common with a brother in Christ than another half-white, half-black kid from New York who moves down to Texas. I have more in common with that person who's in Christ than anybody who could relate to me in any other identity. I was at a coffee shop last Saturday, and I met this, this young guy, and he was from Cambodia. He's a Cambodian ministry. And all of a sudden, we're at this coffee shop, and the next thing you know, we're talking, and we're, and we're praying, and people in the, uh, my family is like, who is this guy? I'm like, I don't even remember his name, but we're brothers. He's on mission. He's got the same vision I do. So we pray for each other. We love one another. That's common ground. We're family, man, and as we come under Christ, as Christ is our primary identity, it would make us people who understand humility, that we'd be a humble people, that we're no better than anyone else, that the cross says that we all need forgiveness and we're all equal sinners under the cross. And so it would lead us to a place of humility that we'd actually love people in a way as a beggar shows another beggar where to find food, that we'd all see each other needy and equal. And then we talked about sex, that sex is a great gift from God, but it's not God. Now our culture is championing sex right now, but sex is just a great gift from God. And that we're to use it under God's design in a covenant marriage between man and woman. And that sex is, is, and God's even calling us to a higher, higher call that we have covenantal eyes. Like we would only look at our spouse as our standard of beauty. That we wouldn't have eyes that wander, but we'd be focused on our spouse. And that sex is a beautiful thing, but sex is a fire. And that fire is great in the covenantal fireplace. 
That can, that can do wonderful things for a family. It can bond a couple together in marriage. But if it's in any other area, it will destroy. And then we talked about last week about justice. How we treat people. Are we people of word and deed? That we would treat other people more important than we treat ourselves. Like Christ, we'd look at him and we continuously disadvantage ourselves willingly for the greater good of other people. That we'd willingly disadvantage ourselves. That's Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we are called to walk in that. That as we read God's word, God's word would so fill us, we feel God's love so much that we would follow it indeed. And we'd serve And we love people next to us at at the disadvantage of ourselves. This is what counterculture has always been about, that we would be counterculture people. People who come under the rule and reign of Christ. People who want to long to be light in the world, to be salt, to go into hurting relationships that are in our families, in our friends, in our societies. We go into the disenfranchised places in our communities. And we go and we love people there. And we preserve. This is what God is calling us to be. That as we see the vision for Christ, Christ is calling us to be radically generous, to protect life, to treasure humanity. That we would wait for sex until we are in a covenantal marriage and that we'd understand the weight of sex, the gravity of it and how important it is. And God is calling us to give up our lives for others that need it. And if we were to live this way, if we were to live out this, we'd be people who shed power. I mean, we would shed integrity. We'd be people called up. That there wouldn't be anyone else like us if we lived this way. And that's where comes great tension. That there should be a tension. There should be a deep conviction. There should be an insecurity about us. There should be some kind of doubt about us. As we go through counterculture, there should be doubt. There should be insecurity. And there's a big problem. And I know it and I felt it over this sermon series because the problem is me. The problem is you. It's our hearts. There should be a tension. There should be a tension that we're focusing on that as we look at these topics through biblical lenses, that there's some point where God's word rubs up against us and we have to see that we disagree with God to some degree. That at some point, we're disagreeing. And at some points, we're in just opposition. That we're not letting the Spirit come and work on us and carve us and shape us. And some of us are sitting and going, not me though, crushing it. I'm checking every box each week. I've fallen on the right side. And if you're being honest, if you're being honest with yourself, you have to know that you're not being honest. That there's no way that you're being honest with your heart. That we might say that we fall in line with everything, but really our words and our deeds don't follow up. We might talk a good game, but we lack integrity. And God is calling us to come to him and speak to him there. 
and humble ourselves there. Pastor Scott put it great. Last week I was talking to him about this. He said, you know, some people get along to get along with life. They get along so they can get along. And I know this because every time I debate with one of my best friends, one of my best friends, we love debating. I love debating. He don't like debating. I like debating like hip-hop albums and Michael Jordan versus LeBron. I mean, you could go on and on and talk about all these kind of things, Tom Brady or whatever. And he will get to a point, five minutes in, we'll be, we'll be talking, we'll be talking, we'll be talking, and they'll go, you know what? You're right. And he just says it so disingenuously. He says it like, okay, this conversation's over. Let's get on to the next one. He says, you're right, and it's over. And I know what that means. It means we're done talking. It really just means shut up, like shut up and let's keep going. And I know what that is because I feel that through this sermon series with God. I'm sitting there going, God, yeah, I, okay, I get it. But God said, oh, I want to have that confrontation. I want to sculpt you here. I want to mold you here. Won't you repent? Won't you come humbly here? And my fear is that as we're rubbing against the scripture that we just say, yeah, I get it. And we get along just so we can get along. And counterculture is meant to enlighten us to the vision, to show us the vision of the church, to show us what it is to be a city on the hill, what it is to be light in the world, what it is to be salt. Well, what counterculture is meant to do is to break us of ourselves. It's to break you of you, to allow the Holy Spirit to be a chisel, to knock off big pieces, to smoothen out the rough edges, to add details to these areas in our life that the Holy Spirit would change us to be people who are strong in God's word and confident. And we don't move from God's word, but we be humble. We be, we be lambs. We bring res restoration to relationships. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, as we look at these statements of the blessed, what we have to see is that if we're going to be a city on the hill, if we're going to live counterculturally, before we could ever do any of this, we need to be this. God's Christ starts the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes because you need to be this before you can live it out. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you poor in spirit? But as we go through the Beatitudes, remember that this is not groups of different people, or different characteristics. In spirit is the key to let us know that this is just characteristics of one people. One people, his people, should fall in line with these characteristics. In spirit is to show us where we stand spiritually. To be poor in spirit, God is using poor as a, as, a, as a metaphor of poverty to show us that we have nothing we can give to God. There is nothing we can do. There is no, not enough righteous acts that we can do at the end of our lives to hand to God and say, God, look at my life. Can I get in? That we are poor in spirit, that our good deeds are like filthy rags to God. That most of us, even when we're operating, we're trying to do things on our own to be good. We're doing them out of selfish reasons. We're doing them so that we can be good, so that we can be seen. Out of our own pride. And there's nothing we can give to God. We are poor spiritually. God says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To, to mourn is to, to grieve the things that are in you and about you. 
that the very seeds of hate live in your sin nature, that the very seeds of murder live inside of your heart, and to mourn those things, to grieve those things, that they are within you, to mourn and to grieve those things is to take responsibility. This is my nature, is to mourn it, is to say, oh my goodness, this is me. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek is, is to be without power, is to be completely dependent. That we would be people who are completely dependent on God's grace. That everything he gives us is a gift. That we understand we have no power. We'd be humble as we walk with the Lord. That our hands would be open to his grace. That if the Lord gives, he is good. And if he takes away, blessed be his name. That we'd be open-handed. But so many of us want power and control of our lives. And so we close our fists. We hold tight to our lives. And you can never receive anything with a closed fist. And so God longs to open your hearts. And as he opens your hearts, your hands will follow to be people who are meek, who are dependent. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As we go through counterculture, as we look at being a city on a hill, is it something that your heart longs for? Has the spirit captivated your heart? Is he tugging at you? Do you long for righteousness? Do you want this kind of life? The life of a lion and a lamb. Boldness and meekness. Do you long for this kind of righteousness? Because if we truly hunger and thirst, it means that we need intervention. That someone needs to come in. To hunger it's to say, I'm hungry, I need a gift. No one, no one who hungers says, you know what, I'm hungry, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and go get a job. No one who thirsts says, you know what, today would be a great day to plant a vineyard. No, to hunger and to thirst is to ask for mercy, ask for grace, to ask for someone to intervene. The Apostle Paul understood this well. He was building his own self-righteousness. He had everything. He had the race. He knew the justice. He knew God's law. He tried to live it out. But he knew when he met Christ, that was nothing. He counted it as nothing. He says this in Philippians 3.9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. To have a righteousness that comes from Christ. This is the gift of the new king. This is his gift to us, his perfect righteousness. That Christ longs to throw his life over you. Like the prodigal son who gets the rope thrown over him and the sovereign ring on his finger and is kissed before he can even apologize. Righteousness is the gift from the king. So as we see a city on the hill, as we try to live counterculturally, we need to be this before we could ever do this. But to be this, to be poor in spirit, to mourn your sin, to be meek, 
And to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, to be this is to look at the perfect righteousness, to look at the teacher and see that before we could ever let the Beatitudes describe us, that they described him first. That the Beatitudes described him first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why does Jesus say that we get to reign and rule and be co-heirs with him in the kingdom? Why are we spiritually rich and have a relationship with our heavenly father through the Holy Spirit who lives in us and through us? Why are we so rich? Because Christ became poor for us. Not, that he, he, not only did he come down and live poor, but he was poor on the, on the cross when he lost his rich relationship with his father. He lost his richness to give to us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why are we comforted? Why do we get comfort from the Holy Spirit? Because on the cross, he mourned for us and he wept for us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Why do we get to receive a gift of grace? Why do we get to inherit the earth? Because on the cross, he was meek, and he was, led to his, he was led to the cross like a lamb that was led to his shearers. He was meek for us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Why are we satisfied? Why are we filled? Because on the cross, he said, I thirst. On the cross, he was poured out. He was emptied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Why do we receive mercy? Why do we receive forgiveness and grace? Because on the cross, he received no mercy. Not from Pilate, not from the crowd, not from his heavenly father who poured out his wrath on him and turned his face away. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why do we get to see God? Why do we see God? Because he was pure. To be pure is to have one focus, to be single-minded. And he was single-minded. He was pure for us. He lived a pure life for us because his focus was us. And he lived a pure life. And when he died on the cross, he was in darkness. And he cried out, where are you? That's why we see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Why do we get to have peace? Why do we get to be called sons and daughters? Because the son of God came down and took on our war. He went to war for us on the cross. And because he did, we have peace with God. We get to be called sons and daughters. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the gift afforded to us. This is the gift of the new king. Perfect righteousness. 
righteousness because he was persecuted. This is the gift that's afforded to us. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, verse 17, they did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but he came to fulfill them. That his word would not pass away, but it will be accomplished. That's the perfect righteousness that he lived for us. That's what he earned for us, and that's what he longs to bestow on us. Perfect righteousness. This is the vision that he calls us to be, a people who come under the gift of righteousness, to inherit the kingdom. This is what he calls us to be, is that as we are robed in his righteousness, as we're crowned in his righteousness, we be people who come to him and be a people of repentance, that we confess, that we be loving people, that we restore and bring restoration to our communities and to our relationships, that we would be people set on a hill, holy and set apart, bold and meek. God is calling us today to let his righteousness robe us and let the Holy Spirit sculpt us change us, mold us, refine us, that as we come under his righteousness, as we praise God, that we respond by letting the Holy Spirit meet us where we're at, that we be humble, that we confess and see where he wants to change us, that we be open, that as we open our hearts, he would open our hands, that we be open with our failures, and let his righteousness cover us. We be shaped and molded by the sculptor. Let his righteousness cover you. God is calling us to see the truth of perfect righteousness. This is the truth. It's this truth that will set us free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great. God, you are mighty and you are holy. In Christ, we look at you and we look at your life and we praise you, God, that you were poured out for us, that we could be filled. Spirit, I pray that you would just shape us. You'd make us poor in spirit, that our eyes would be open to the riches of the righteousness of Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just continue to fill our hearts, to send us out to be people who bring restoration and love to our communities, that we be salt and light and spare convict us, mold us, break us of ourselves, shape us in the image and likeness of Christ. Let us hunger and thirst. God, I pray that you would stir our appetite for your righteousness. And Christ, I pray you would meet us, for you are the bread of life and living water. We thank you for filling us. We praise you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.